Nick, nobody in Major League history has hit two home runs on back-to-back postseason games, but you just did, and you guys are headed to the NLCS. Where's the question in that? There's no question. Well, thank, thank you for telling me. baseball fans welcome to another episode of put me in coach a podcast about baseball for baseball fans my name is matt coggins and my name is carl mizell ta-da <laughs> it's sunday we're recording this and releasing this on a sunday because i just said fuck it and so uh when you're hearing this it's just mere hours after we've recorded this and uh we're doing this in part because of you know uh, previewing the championship series, but also our own schedules were a little weird this week. So here you are. You're listening to us a little uh, without rest. What, what did you say, Carl? It's like a little less rest time than the average date. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. It doesn't it, put us off of our game. Yeah, it's like a pitcher going on three days rest or something. You know, short rest in the playoffs. You know, uh, we, we got to do it. But, you know, it, at least it's not a long rest. At least we're not getting five days off at the end of a 162-game season to rest and recover and set our lineups and uh, prepare for the next round of the playoffs because that would disadvantage us. Yeah, for some reason that would be seen as a bad thing. <laughs> I don't I, know why. Uh, I don't know. Apparently, uh, this year is bizarro baseball season. Uh, we've got we've got a lot of talk about that. I know we kind of touched on it last week, but we're going to touch on it again because the whole Attaboy Harper Atlanta Braves kerfuffle in the clubhouse keeps going on. Um, it looks like we got some resolution to it. We're going to talk about that later, but mostly we're going to talk about the uh, the upcoming. We're going to preview the uh, upcoming league championship series. Uh, and uh, we're doing it on a Sunday, like Matt said. We're trying to be topical and relevant. And the sun is out while we're recording it, too. It's so weird. I'm looking. I'm I'm looking at the screen, and I'm seeing us, and I'm seeing you, and then I keep looking at my my window over here, going because I, I see the sun in the in the picture, and I'm going, "That's dumb." <laughs> we usually record in the dark of night. Uh, with shame, like you should do when you have a podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do yeah, you no. do that? Do, do you do that when you when like if it comes up or even if it comes up organically? Do you ever kind of cringe when you say that you have a podcast? Yeah, you know, yeah. as as a as a young white man uh, saying I have a podcast, everyone's like, "Well, of course you do." <laughs> look exactly. At, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm surprised you don't have two podcasts. Oh no, that's my co-host. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> He's the worst of us. <laughs> Well, uh, on that note, my friend, let us recap the divisional round. Let's start with Twins Astros. That was the uh, that was, I think, one of the more exciting uh, divisional round matchups. In that, uh, it was one of two that wasn't a sweep. So, <laughs> um, it, it yeah. kind of felt for a minute that the Twins might make miracles happen. And then the Astros were the Astros, um, unfortunately. You know, when we last left off, we had uh, we had a split series between the Astros and the Twins. The Twins had this great game where Carlos Correa was really doing the revenge tour. Unfortunately, Houston has clinched their seventh consecutive championship berth after dispatching the Twins in four games. Uh, the Twins took game two. Astros dispatched them in Minneapolis in game three with a 9-1 blowout. Jose Abreu had a two-homer game, 
And Christian Javier had nine strikeouts, one hit, zero runs. Uh, they put it to bed with a game four thanks to Jose Urquidy. The Twins threatened plenty of times in that one, and even though uh, Joe Ryan was pulled after two innings of one pitch of one run pitching, Twins bullpen was mostly untouched. That is safe for Caleb Thielbar, who gave up the go-ahead Jose Abreu home run. Um, Abreu kind of went off on those last two games. Yeah. But the real star, of course, is Jordan Alvarez, who finished the series and so far with the postseason with a 1.784 OPS, four home runs, six RBIs. That guy is a monster. <laughs> yeah, he he and Bryce Harper are sort of the exceptions that prove the rule kind of thing. Um, I, I, I can't believe that there are still so many professional people who cover baseball out there who say, oh, this guy's so clutch. This guy's clutch. It has been proven time and time again that like quote unquote clutch is not really a thing. There are not a large, there's not a large enough sample size for any one player to prove quote unquote clutchness. People have tried that said Jordan Alvarez and Bryce Harper. But in this case, we're talking about Jordan. Like it's something about the playoffs that yeah. just makes him. I mean, he has great regular seasons, but it's something about the playoffs that makes him come alive. And I was pulling so hard. So hard for the Twins because, A, tired of the Astros, just like a lot of people, and B, they're representing, you know, uh, the AL Comedy Central uh, and, and still, you know, putting on a good show, and I, I just really wanted them to tough it out. But, man, I, I was just in here thinking, back when the Tigers were really good, back in the early, like, 20, like 2009 through, like, 2014, that was when the Astros were at their worst, they were yeah. terrible. They were literally drawing like 0.0 on the Nielsen television ratings. Nobody was watching them home in the stadium, nothing. And to go from that and all of those great draft picks in that era to this where they're going to their seventh consecutive championship series, it doesn't seem real. It just seems it seems boring. Like, oh, here we are again. Yeah. Great. Houston. It, it just seems so insane to me that the Houston Astros, a team that was historically terrible when I was a kid, just the the purest example of just consistent greatness these days it bums me out because it's not like the yankees in that they were a, a team that was easy to hate and i think a lot of people have sort of forgiven the current team they they don't judge the current team based on the sins of of the cheating past mm -hmm. because not a lot of those guys are there still different manager different system and you know they did it all, and they won without cheating since I, then. Exactly. You know? I was just so, going to say, they keep going. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Did they even need to do it back then? Probably not. But uh, it's still, <laughs> they're not quite the same villains, you know, and we'll get to the Braves later. I don't think they have that sort of culture around them. Um, and yet, god damn, I wish somebody could stop them. That's that's all I'm saying. It's like, I, I it, they, they don't pain me enough where I'm like, oh, I, I wish for their downfall other than... I need something to be shaken up with with this thing happening. And there's nothing you, you can't deny that they're talented. I, th that's really the point of what I was trying to say here. No, absolutely. And that's and I I had a hard time with the whole cheating scandal uh anyway. I I mean, maybe it's cuz I I I played for a long time. I never played at an extremely high level or anything, but you could tell me, "Hey, I'm going to throw a slider." And I could be like, "Great, you're going to throw a slider." Just because I know it's coming doesn't mean I'm going to be able to make contact. I and mean, right. it's, you know, it, it gives you a little bit of an advantage, but you still have to execute. And I mean, yes, it's fucked up. They cheated. It's terrible. Do I think they should lose the trophy? No, I. They got caught. Um, is really what it boils down to. Uh, but TLDR, you still got to execute. And goddamn it, I hope somebody can come along. 
uh, and and knock them down. And maybe it'll be the winner of the Orioles Rangers divisional series, which was the Texas Rangers. Yeah, the Rangers uh, kind of annihilated the Orioles in the yeah. same fashion they did the Rays. It it uh, it was close in the first game and never again since. Uh, the Orioles just couldn't make it happen. Texas really pulled their pants down and, and smacked their butts around and embarrassed them. Uh, they finished the series 7-1 to one on the final game. The Rangers will go to the ALCS for the first time since 2011, which is crazy. Uh, and I think this was their first uh, divisional berth since 2014. If I'm not mistaken, when they faced the, the... yeah, they beat Baltimore. I believe they beat Baltimore because that was the year that Baltimore swept Detroit in the divisional series, and so that means Baltimore would have played Texas then too. Cool, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of guys that came out of this one. You know, you can point to Alvarez and Abreu and um, Altuve from the Astros as like those were the stars. I had trouble really picking out like who's the star of the Rangers right now because across the board. All those guys are really going off. And maybe it was just the caliber of their um, AL East uh, rivals here. But, um, you know, Corey Seager, currently with, if you combine the wild card round and this round, Corey Seager has 1.537 OPS and a 429 average. But then there's uh, Carter, who we talked about last week, their rookie, who only made his appearance in September. He has a 1.476 OPS and a 429 average. And then on the pitching side of things, Nathan Yavaldi has a 1.32 ERA, 15 strikeouts, uh, 0.8 whip. Entire pitching staff from these two rounds sitting at 2.2 ERA, 1.09 whip, and they haven't even had Max Scherzer yet. They will mm. now, so <laughs> who knows yeah. where this is going. Yeah, they've also got John Gray back for the championship series as well, so it looks like the Rangers are trying to throw everything, uh, including the kitchen sink at the Astros, which I think is great. Uh, I, I, I am I'm floored. I really would have thought seeing all the struggles that the Rangers have had all season, uh, the the loss of DeGrom, the loss of Scherzer, uh, they they got a roll as Chapman and he was making a difference and then it was like he, he started to struggle and, and he remembered he's a roll as Chapman. Exactly, yeah. exactly. He remembered who he was. Um, and to be where they are now is insane. And I, I think you've already started to see this sort of storyline develop, but I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch the Bruce Bochy versus Dusty Baker sort of mind games. You have two tactical uh, old school coaches or managers who do seem to sort of value, well, Bruce Bochy seems to value, you know, modern analytics a little bit more, um, Dusty Baker caught some flack at the end of the season for not playing Chaz McCormick, even though he was one of their best hitters by all metrics. Um, but, you know, he wanted to give the, the veterans some play. Right. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And I really hope that Texas just takes him out behind the woodshed and just takes it to him because I would rather see the Rangers <laughs> than the Astros. I'm not a big fan of either team, but uh, I would much rather see the Rangers uh, than the Astros again. And all Texas... ALCS, you've got Verlander versus Scherzer in in some form, a repeat of, you know, it's, it's fascinating. These two guys have played on the same team twice now between the Tigers and the Mets, and now they're facing each other in the playoffs 
for the at least second time because Astros went up against the Nationals in uh, 2019. Um, just crazy how, and I guess it kind of makes sense when you extrapolate the idea of like these are the two greatest pitchers uh, working right now. Uh, they were destined to, to end up on playoff teams again, but I don't know, man. It's interesting. You know what? Three times, right? Because mm-hmm. 2020 World Series was Dodgers-Astros. Yep. And Scherzer was on the Dodgers. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. I wish they would they would uh, go up against each other. I don't think they will, though, because Scherzer's freshly off of injury. I think, if I had to guess, probably only going a couple innings either as a starter on a bullpen game or from a bullpen role, kind of like he was with the Dodgers. Yeah. I don't know. I it's fascinating. <laughs> it, it is fascinating. I just, I, I just wish they would kiss already. I feel like that's what needs to happen. You know, after the end, of the, at the end of the series, they go shake each other's hands and then they just, yeah, kiss. I always felt like it's, you know, that meme with uh, Mad Men where the guy's like, "I pity you," and Don Draper goes, "I don't even know. I don't think about you at all." I exactly. think that's the Scherzer Verlander relationship <laughs> yeah. where Scherzer is obsessed with being better than Verlander, and Verlander is like, "Oh, hey, Max, what's up?" <laughs> just like, I don't think he cares because it's. I don't know. I love yeah. those guys. I'm a big fan of both of them. I want them both to succeed. I want Verlander to succeed a little less because he's with Houston, but you know, yeah. that's who I'm rooting for this time around. Same. All right, let's move on to the National League divisional round. We're going to talk about Diamondbacks Dodgers. <laughs> so, as everyone expected going into this series, the Dodgers were swept by the Diamondbacks. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> swept. <laughs> convincingly it wasn't even close the Dodgers starters went a combined 4.2 innings most of those were Lance Lynn uh 13 own uh, earned runs most of those weren't Lance Lynn believe it or not <laughs> and uh so that's a 25.08 ERA 16 hits five home runs most of those were Lance Lynn uh three walks two strikeouts the Dodgers NL MVP favorites uh, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman went to combined one hit, four strikeouts, three walks. J.D. Martinez was the only Dodger to hit a home run. Will Smith was the only person to get on base with a 1.08 OPS. So Will Smith did a majority of the work for the Dodgers, and everyone else kind of didn't show up. Yeah, no, it was bad. I was trying to do some research, and I couldn't find the final numbers on it, but I, I'm pretty sure that I'm correct. I think that the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, scored, I know they scored for sure nine runs in the first inning of a couple of games. I'm pretty sure that the Diamondbacks outscored the Dodgers just in the first inning alone. <laughs> all 27 right. inning, all 27 innings that the Dodgers played, they still didn't score as many runs in 27 innings as the Diamondbacks scored in three first innings. It was pure, pure, pure dominance, and I am so glad that I got to see the, uh, the history that Lance Lynn made. <laughs> <laughs> those yeah. four home runs. I was watching it, and then uh, when Moreno hit the foul ball and was so close, and then turned right around in the very next pitch and hit it, uh, I I was laughing hysterically to myself. But I was not having as much fun with it as Tommy Pham was. Yeah. Uh, so to 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 back up a little bit, um, the history that we're talking about is Lance Lynn lived up to his reputation and made history as the Diamondbacks became the first team in history to hit four home runs in a single inning. Now, Lynn is a known home run giver-upper. He made MLB history 
twice this year, not just by pitching this inning, but also he surrendered a combined 47 home runs between the regular season and playoffs this year, an MLB record. And Tommy Pham, like you said, he kind of narrated this whole thought process behind the whole thing. And this is a quote. Domo got one, and I was like, hell yeah. Marte crushed one, and I was like, hell yeah. Seawalk blasted one, and I'm like, damn. Then Moreno hit the foul ball, and I'm like, ah, damn. And it was like, to, to outside of this Tommy Pham quote, that foul ball was very close. He, they initially called it a home run. He started rounding the bases, and they're like, ah, all the Dodge, uh, the Dodgers bullpen was pointing like it's, it's a foul ball. Okay. And in that moment, I'm like, I have a feeling he's going to hit one on the very next pitch. And sure enough, he did. Uh, back to Tommy Pham's quote, he said, very next pitch, he blasted one, and I'm like, hell yeah. So yeah, that was the that was the miraculous inning that the Snakes had in Game Three, and that once that happened, you knew. I kind of figured once the Dodgers decided to trade for Lance Lynn from the White Sox, you kind of he wasn't even the best pitcher on the White Sox. No, I have no idea why he was considered this big trade accusation, accu- accusation, accusation. Yikes! <laughs> that would be Clevenger. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> Um, but uh, they seemed very excited to get him in in L.A. And once he game, he had a couple of good games. And they're like, "Oh yeah, we fixed Lance Lynn, all right." And it's like, have you guys <laughs> watched him pitch the last couple of years <laughs> for the White Sox? But have you have you met Lance Lynn? Yeah. <laughs> you know, aside from how the Dodgers pitchers did, you have to give credit to the Diamondbacks and their offense, especially Corbin Carroll, who at this point, Rookie of the Year, locked up. I think MVP should be taken into the consideration of how he did in the postseason. Because, holy shit, across the divisional series in the wild card, 412 average, 1.39 OPS, two home runs, six walks. Holy shit, this isn't just Rookie of the Year. Like He, he outdid Betts, Freeman, Acuna, Olsen, Everybody on the Braves, <laughs> like this, oh, yeah. is a star player, and he is a rookie. Yeah, no, he's he's definitely he's gonna garner MVP votes, uh, for sure. And and the MVP is supposed to be a regular season award, you know, right. the play because not everybody gets a chance to keep playing in the playoffs and that sort of thing. But as as if I were a writer that had a vote on this award this year, it would be very hard for for me to not look at what Corbin Carroll has done in these playoffs and not sort of like pin that on the back end of his regular season because he was phenomenal. He was just a electric transcendent player and it's just the Diamondbacks are going to be scary for a while. I th- they're they're going to get another World Series title here I think in the next decade. If they can keep everything going the way they are, keep moving in the right direction, I think that you are going to see them sneak up. I think the AL or excuse me the NL West is going to take a nosedive. I don't think the Padres are going to going to ever get over that hump. I think the Dodgers are trending downward. Uh I just can't see how they're going to be able to maintain mm. the the dominance that they've had for this long. Uh, yeah, I think Arizona is is setting themselves up to be the dominant force in the National League uh, for the foreseeable future if they can keep doing what they're doing right here. They had good pitching, too. Uh, Brandon Fott? I think I'm pronouncing that right. Yes. He was sort of seen as the big, like, why are you starting this guy? And but uh, this was just in the uh, NLDS. Four innings pitched. Uh, two hits, zero runs, two strikeouts. He also did great in the division, uh, the wild card series. And then you had Merrill Kelly, who made his first start during the NLDS. Six innings pitched, three hits, zero runs, five strikeouts. It's not like Verlander numbers, but it's good pitching. And what did I say before we started this whole thing? Whoever's got the good pitching is going to win this thing. 
And offense is definitely telling a good chunk of the story, but this is like a whole other level. If you've got your Verlanders, you've got your Scherzers, you've got your Brandon Fots and your Merrill Kellys and your Aaron Nolas, you might have a shot. And, and clearly this proves that it's not all about the offense. Mm-hmm. The Braves had the greatest history-making offense, cheating or otherwise, um, and they couldn't do shit against Phillies. Here we are, you know? And the that- Diamondbacks, truth- truthfully, uh, might be one of the biggest underdogs that we've seen in a long time if they make it to the World Series because they only finished this season with 84 wins. And that's why I'm kind of rooting for them because it's like, I've always said, once you get to the dance, it, you know, it doesn't really matter how you did in the regular season and the Diamondbacks have a chance to prove that. Absolutely. It is, like I said that I said this on the last episode, your regular season is just the price of admission you pay to get to the playoffs. That's it. Once you're there, it all starts all over again. Everybody functionally goes back to zero. It's 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 part of the reason why they separate playoff stats from regular season stats. Yes. It's 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 an entirely different thing. Same thing happened with the the 2006 St. Louis Cardinals. I think they had 86 wins. They were they backed in as a wild card and then went on to sweep the Detroit Tigers. Uh, also the wild card in the World Series. Uh, so anything can happen. And I, I just, I love when teams like Arizona, you know, teams that, that get in that shouldn't be there, quote unquote. Uh, I just, I love it. I love it so much. I would have loved a Baltimore, Arizona world series. Some of the best young players on the biggest stage Yeah, would have been something else. Uh, but at this point I'm definitely rooting. I I'm, it's hard. It's real hard. Uh, do I want to root for it? Basically I'm rooting for the national league at this point. And we'll, we'll talk about why in just a second. Uh, I just wanted to add one final thing that I thought was really, really cool in a, in a good, sportsmanship move the Diamondbacks offered the Dodgers the opportunity to celebrate in Chase Field if they were to clinch the series while in Arizona um it wasn't a possibility after the Diamondbacks took those two in LA but this goes back the last time these two teams met in the playoffs the Dodgers without asking jumped into that pool at Chase Field and people were outraged they were pissed they were like that's our thing don't do that and pretty much many times since then they've had police and security guard the pool to make sure people that weren't supposed to jumped into it and then the owner of the team this year to to the surprise of many was like you know what fuck it if we're gonna be good sports if you guys want to celebrate in our pool go ahead but they didn't need to because it was a sweep and it was really cool to see the diamondbacks jump into that pool it was great it was it's it's one of those things any 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 sports moment that can make my wife smile that's how you know it's a good story like because she she loves doesn't like sports, but she loves stories and feel-good stories, and that was definitely one of them. Now all they need to do is bring back those purple uniforms. That's where I'm at. Oh, yeah. If you're following along on our postseason bracket that I've been posting on our social media, you'll notice that I took some artistic liberty with the Diamondbacks logo and, and made sure it was the old-school purple and teal logo because that is one of the best logo sports ever produced, and now their dusty red and, and sand color is just, I don't like it. Don't like it. Nah. Not a fan either. It looks too much like the uh, Arizona Coyotes uniforms. Which, which I, I like the either. Coyotes, but you know what Coyotes uh, uniforms I liked better? No. The old purple ones. <laughs> Go figure. So you also like the uh, Anaheim, the old Anaheim Ducks? Oh my God. Don't even get me started. What are the Ducks even doing with that ugly ass orange logo? Get out of here. Mighty Ducks <laughs> supremacy. <laughs> All right. We got to talk about our World Series because as far as I'm concerned, up to this point, this was the best series we've seen in baseball all year. Phillies, Braves, NLDS rematch. These teams found each other in the NLCS last year, right? 
Yes. And so rematch between two teams, divisional rivals, the two best teams in the uh, NL East this year. And for one, fuck the Braves. I think we got to start off with that. Um, oh, quick correction. Uh, it was the Padres and the Phillies last year. Got my, it. My right, apologies. right. So this yep. was the NLDS last year again. Um, yep. Fuck the Braves. Uh, yeah, the, you can say that as many times as you want. <laughs> so we recorded on Monday while the game was happening, and it looked like the Phillies were approaching a win near the end of when we were recording. I think um, uh, Darno hit a home run, a multi-run home run. Yep. That put the Braves close, and then after, like almost immediately after we stopped recording, um, it was Austin Riley that drove in a home run with Ronald Acuna on base. I think it was a little suspicious because it looked like Acuna leaned into a pitch, but I digress. You can't prove it. He didn't get called on it. Whatever. So the Braves won that one. It was very close because the Phillies nearly walked it off with a big, long home run from uh, Castellanos, or at least a long fly ball. Mm -hmm. But there was a miracle catch from Michael Harris in center field that he was able to get back into the infield and double off Bryce Harper, who was advancing from first. And it's one of those things, like, you can't really blame him for that kind of base running mistake because Michael Harris is an amazing center fielder. Mm -hmm. Most people would not be able to make that catch. It was an amazing catch. And Harper is, able to, is seeing that he's the at least the tying run, and so he sees that kind of ball getting hit and thinks, might as well hedge my bets and try to make it at home if I if possible. And he gets doubled off. It's the first eight five three double play in postseason history, which I thought was very interesting. Which I guess is like center field to third base to first. Kind of rare, yes. but yeah, it happened. Um, and then everything changed because after Monday's game, reports came out that Orlando Arcia was mocking Harper in the clubhouse after the game, repeatedly chanting. At a boy Harper, at a boy Harper, over his understandable base running mistake. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you can gloat, fine, gloat, whatever. But then something shook in the foundations of this series because they come to Philly. Everybody's heard this story. Everybody says, oh, no. Like, you just don't shit talk in the postseason. It's like when Twins fans were leaving uh, the, I don't want to say the Metrodome, Target Field. Uh, chanting, we want Houston after they beat the Blue Jays. You don't want to do that. Don't talk shit. It's going to come back to bite you. And boy, howdy, did it come back to bite the Braves. The crowd was about 10 times more alive than they were in Atlanta because it's Philly. Um, the bats were too. Four Phillies homered in game three, Trey Turner, Brandon Marsh, and then two home runs from Castellanos. And of course, Two home runs from Harper, who stared down Orlando Arcia as he rounded the bases. One of the coldest baseball pictures I have ever seen is a stone-faced, dead-eyed Harper staring at Orlando Arcia and the mm. pictures from the, the position of behind Arcia. It is the coolest picture I've ever seen. Um, is just like, oh, the webbing of my glove is so bad right now. <laughs> I, I should stare a hole into it. The amount of times they did a split screen between Harper and Arcia that entire final two games is wild. Um, the Braves only managed two runs, given a very strong start from the Phillies' Aaron Nola. Uh, six home runs. Phillies set a franchise postseason record and tied a major league postseason record with most home runs in a single game. That's fucking cool. And, um, you know, uh, another notable thing that happened in Game 3 is Castellanos had another poorly timed homer. <laughs> 
came as the TBS commentators were discussing former Phillies manager Charlie Manuel's uh, rehabilitation following a stroke. It's literally like, yeah, you know, we're hoping for the best for Charlie, you know, prayers up. And there's a deep fly ball from Cassianos <laughs> once again. He did it again. Um, and then Philly just kept it going in game four. You know, Austin Riley has an early home run. Castellanos hits another home run to tie it up off of Spencer Strider, who, you know, as all things go in this series, I thought Strider was pretty good, especially in game four. Um, It was a super tight contest. Like, Strider really kind of kept it within the Braves' reach. He gave up a home run to Trey Turner in the fifth, and then, by God, he does it again. Castellanos hits his fourth home run in two days, becoming the first player in playoff history to have back-to-back multiple home run days. The Braves loaded the bases with two outs in the seventh. And you think, oh, this is it. This is like, you know, baseball moments are made for this because Ronald Acuna comes up to the plate and he hits a deep fly ball to center field. It looked like a home run. It looked like a grand slam. Citizens Bank Park went silent for the first time in days. And uh, miraculously, Johan Rojas caught that ball. (laughs) Oh, it was insane. What a beautiful catch. It wasn't like a big stretch. It wasn't a dive. It was one of those, like, he reaches out and catches it, and you're like, holy shit, this should have been a grand slam, and it wasn't. Yeah, wow. he, and he he made that harder on himself than he needed to. He pl- misplayed that ball, uh, not terribly, but yeah. his margin for error was so slim. And if you were watching the game at all, it, it was an excellent example of of what we've talked about, which is pitching versus hitting. And Spencer Strider, great pitcher, but that night he did not have his slider, and he is a three pitch pitcher. He's a fastball guy. Sliders is number one secondary, and then he throws the changeup to keep you guessing on the other two. He did not have that slider, so the Phillies were like, "All right, eliminate that one." You see the slider coming, don't mess with it. Yeah. And they just sat on that fastball, that 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Again, if you're a major league hitter and you can hit a fastball and you can discount the other pitches, if he's not throwing his main primary and he's definitely not going to throw that changeup, sit fastball. And the Phillies did it, and they outplayed them. It was fascinating. It was so great to watch. I think, uh, to the Phillies' credit, too, they figured out how to pitch to the Braves. Yes. Like, um, something I was listening to, the um, – the uh, baseball barbecue podcast, which is from uh, somebody we're going to mention later, uh, a guy named Jake Mintz and the Cespedes Family Barbecue YouTube channel, they made the point of saying, like, listen, like, people haven't figured out how to f- pitch to the Braves all year, including the Phillies. And they finally did this time. Don't give them anything over the plate. If you can, try to pitch them up and in because then they can't extend. And moreover, just never give them anything to hit for power. They're going to swing no matter what. And you notice that, uh, I think for the most part, during Game 3, the Braves swung at every single first pitch. Every time. Mm -hmm. Contact or otherwise. They're extremely aggressive in that regard. And most of the time, the Phillies were able to get them to roll over on a ton of stuff. They weren't able to get those hits for power. And... This pitch in particular that was the deep fly ball that could have been a grand slam, if it was just an inch or two more over the plate, that ball was gone. So I think, like, to the Phillies' credit, they know the Braves' biggest strength this year was their home runs, their power, their, you know, being able to drive the ball. Well, take that away from them. And it's, it's, I won't say it's all it took because to pitch like that is an incredible strength, but they came close, uh, you know, our old friend Gregory Soto, which I've said all year round, all year round, this guy is not a closer. This guy should not be put in 
late inning situations based on his track record with the Tigers. And the Phillies did. They put him in that position. He uh, got the last out in the eighth and then came back out for the ninth. And I was like, mm, I wouldn't do that. He gave up <laughs> a walk and then a hit. So you had batters on the corners and it was only a one-run lead, so it was like, ugh, we're getting kind of sketchy here. Or maybe a two-run lead, I'm sorry. Um, but the Phillies survived. Strom came out, finished the game, and uh, they vanquished the, the Braves for the second consecutive year. Bryce Harper. Yeah. is a, They're going to start building that statue by the end of this year, I swear oh, yeah. to God. Oh, yeah. um, he is now the postseason slugging leader. Uh, over 156 career postseason at-bats, slashing 282, 736, 635. His postseason slugging percentage is the highest ever by a player of at least 150 at-bats in the postseason. That's huge. It is. And in if you're thinking, oh, 150 at-bats, that's not a lot. That's anywhere between 40 and 50 games at minimum. You know, if he gets four at-bats a game, that's 40 at-bats. So, or three at-bats a game, 50. In 50 games, 50 to rack up 50 playoff games... That takes a lot of luck. Um, so don't let that small sample size fool you. Like I said earlier, clutch is not real, but Bryce Harper will make you think it's real. Some of the other guys on the list, Nelson Cruz, George Brett, Carlos Beltran, and Albert Pujols make up the top five. All of them with many more at-bats than Harper. George Brett's the closest to Harper, about 10 more at-bats. So far, Harper will get more than that by the end of this postseason. But Pujols at 304 at-bats, you know, twice, twice as many as Harper's had, 572 slugging percentage. And that's Albert Pujols, <laughs> who's, who's known outside of postseason heroics as being a great power hitter. So that's yeah. Bryce Harper, man. Um, any Anytime your name comes up in a list and it goes your name and Albert Pujols, that's a hell of a list to be on. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, the fewest runs that the Braves scored in any four-game span during the entire regular season was nine. The Phillies held them to eight runs in this four-game playoff span. That is wild. They scored uh, 947 runs in the regular season, over 300 homers, and in the playoffs, they just had eight runs, three homers. Two of them were from Austin Riley. One was from Travis Darneau. <laughs> and again, <laughs> fuck the Braves. I don't think this changes anything about my theory that they were cheating at all. Mm -hmm. I think if anything, this proves that despite what they were doing in the regular season, the Phillies were able to pitch to their weaknesses better than any other team. And I think moreover, leaning on a cheating or a less than realistic um, strategy was their downfall. Because what did this team count on? Hitting home runs. What didn't they do at all? Hit home runs. Yep. Acuna was silent. I think he got like two hits the whole time. Oh yeah, he was he was completely shut down. He looked nothing like the regular season version of himself in this playoff series. It was shocking. And I think again, it's just they were counting on something that they weren't able to deliver. And mm, I don't know, man. I think something will come out. I think a lot of people might be starting to think there's something up with this team this year uh so i will withhold any kind of talent saying they're an historic offense they were by the numbers one of the greatest offensive production teams in history but i think it'll have an asterisk before it's all over so that was the recap that's what happened in the ds we've got the astros the rangers 
the Diamondbacks and the Phillies as our final four. And we wanted to talk a little bit more about the Braves and everything that came out of this series with their myriad of excuses. And I wrote them all down, Carl, because I, f- I felt like this was just, yeah. they had something for every game, every situation, their fans. And their media. Were, their water, yeah. their water carrying media. So creative. And to be honest, baseball media at large. You had uh, names like Ken Rosenthal carrying water for them. Um, so here's what the Braves fans and players and media have whined about over the last week. They got too much rest during the bye week, during the wild card round, and the format is flawed. The format, which only added a handful of extra games, a format that really didn't change how much rest came between wild card and divisional round. Format's wrong. Okay. Moving on. The Mm -hmm. Arcia attaboy comment wasn't something that was supposed to be heard outside of the clubhouse. So the media is evil. The clubhouse is a sacred place. You know, never mind that we got, if they were to win, the cameras in there covering every little, you know, beer chugging moment, every speech that they have, that's fine. But when they lose, oh no, 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 that's a bad thing. Um, It got to a point where there was a host on MLB Network named Alana Rizzo who was so pissed off about this comment getting leaked. And Jake Mintz is the reporter for Fox Sports who who wrote about this quote. He, like I said earlier, has this podcast called Baseball Barbacast. So I, I'm aware of Jake and, and, and the Ioana Suspidus meme account that these guys have. They're good guys. They're baseball lovers, and they both kind of professionally cover baseball as well. Um, she... Elana Rizzo about Mintz said, you've got some jack off coming in at the end of the season that gets credential. God only knows why. Again, he's a professional baseball writer for Fox Sports. It's not like some rando that wandered his way into the club. This guy's been in many clubhouses over his career. It wasn't you or me. (laughs) Yeah. If we got press credentials, it would be a little weird. Um, nor could I afford the trip to go to Philly for all of this. So if we wandered in there, it would be wild. But he's a professional. This is his job. Um, and because of this comment, uh, the Baseball Writers of America came out in his defense with a pretty strongly worded press release saying, like, this is crossing a line, especially from somebody who works for the league, talking about somebody that covers teams professionally. That's, you know, it's a little crossing a line. Um, mm-hmm. We'll come back to that, but I want to go on to more excuses from but, the Braves fans. One thing real quick, though. I want to bring up the Travis Darno quote specifically because yeah. it is one of the most thin-skinned, loaded statements he said quote the clubhouse is a sanctuary and i think when things like that get out it doesn't make people want to talk to the media at all it affects the people who have been great to us all year and it is what it is okay clubhouse not a sanctuary it's a it's a it's a fucking room when things like that get out it doesn't make one of people talk to the media at all fuck you you know that you know the score you know the score there's media in here he wanted people to hear that, and even if he didn't, he shouldn't have said it. It affects the people who have been great to us all year. Uh, Red, it affects the people that have kissed our ass all year and sucked <laughs> up to us so they can have access to us, so we'll want to talk to them. And it is what it is, is sports cliche 101. Yeah. I think, uh, do you recall when the Braves and the Mets met up earlier in the summer that there was a moment where... Bryce Elder left a hanging slider over the plate. Pete Alonso blasted for a big home run. And Alonso gets back into the dugout. He says, hey, throw it again. You know, happened. Yep. It was Sunday night baseball, so there's a lot of cameras. The camera happened to catch Alonso saying it. Throw it again. And then the Braves, you know, made a meme out of it. They they made shirts about it. 
At one point, Alonzo gets hit by a pitch, and they're saying, throw it again, throw it again. Ha ha ha, isn't it funny that this guy got hurt? What did Pete Alonzo do? He owned up to it. He was like, yeah, I was shit-talking. Sorry it happens in baseball. I happened to get caught on camera. You know, it's yep. funny that they turned it around on me. Moving on. Braves fans did not move on. Anytime Pete Alonzo came up at all, that throw it again got brought up. So now that it's flipped on their head, you know, and this guy, Arcia, didn't even say it out, you know, proudly and loudly in, in the Phillies' face, which is like, if you're going to shit talk, come on, man. Like, doing it behind closed doors, as it were. Mm-hmm. What's and, and and then getting called out on it. Yeah, that's that's coward shit, you know. Like, I, I don't talk a lot of shit, but when I do, I own up to it. I said, yeah, you know, I talked some shit. Bully on me for, for fucking it up. But this is just, this is whiny little baby stuff and there's more of it yeah we're not even halfway through this lesson <laughs> not at all uh game four the braves bullpen was complaining about heckling phillies fans phillies fans were told by security to move out of the section around the bullpen because security got a radio call from these professional baseball players they couldn't handle some shit talk oh and at the same time orlando arcia is in the Braves dugout mocking Phillies fans in the crowd doing literally the fucking like face yeah like a child like, like, like moose antler like your thumb near your yeah. ears the nana nana boo boo he was literally saying the nana nana boo boo yeah. shit as a fully grown adult to fully grown adult fans and I'm sorry man you're gonna play in Philly like they do 12 times a year you should know that this is what you're expecting and he made himself look like a total fool not being able to to put up with the shit talk you know mm-hmm. what was the other one uh atlanta reporter allison mastranglo mastralango on twitter said not cool philly the sprinklers on the visitors side of the phillies ballpark came on and got some of the atlanta media gear wet maybe it's a coincidence but the sprinklers by the philly side did not go on till a few minutes later what the <gasps> fuck are we doing here they're sprinklers <laughs> man you think they were really like hey let's get the braves media gear wet no Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it comes back to that uh, Mad Men quote. I pity you. I don't think yeah. about you at yeah. all. The, we don't. Who cares? No one cares about the media. And that's how sprinklers work. They're on zones, you leptons. Use your fucking heads. Phillies. Uh, oh, the Braves radio booth complained that Bryce Harper's celebrations were too much in today's climate, which he was kind of doing like a, a like throat slashing thing. Mm-hmm. Come on. And they try to tie it into like what's going on in the Middle East, and it's just Jesus Christ. Move on from that. Which was the most ham-fisted attempt at self-righteousness. Yeah. Now, if you now, if Bryce Harper like pretended to like point a weapon, <laughs> like yeah. made like finger guns or something, like, or you yeah. know, chopped an axe. Yeah, or chopped an axe racistly. <laughs> um, you know that. Which again, I think that's next on your list. <laughs> Phillies fans, so this was during the big inning where they gave up, the Braves gave up six runs to the Phils. The Phillies fans started doing the Braves chop chant, which if you're not familiar, they do like a very racist chant. I've seen it happen with the Kansas City Chiefs. When I lived in Kansas City, they do it at the bars and every time I'd be like, what the fuck is going on here? They call it a Seminole chant. Many, many native tribes have said, this chant is fucked up. Stop doing it, please. And they're like, oh, actually, you know, native people like when we do this. So, but when the Phillies did it, when the Phillies fans started doing it, 
all the Braves fans on Twitter are like, hey, actually, that's racist, guys. Or they'd be like, I thought you said this was racist. Why is it okay when you do it? It's like, we're making fun of you. Yeah. And you admitting that it's racist makes you not look so good. You know that, right? The call is coming from inside the house, you living embodiment of the Spider-Man pointing me. <laughs> uh, Phillies fans bullied the Braves mascot blooper into an online meltdown. Uh, <laughs> so that happened. I fucking love Philadelphia. Uh, so... To sum all of this up, the tweet of the year from a guy named Robert Orr, he said, how is it that everybody associated with this franchise, the players, the fans, the media, exudes that let me speak to your manager energy? And I think finally, for the first time all year, I am content that finally people in the greater baseball world have finally seen the Braves fans for what they are as just whiny little babies, sore winners, and they finally are out, and they're gone, and we don't have to hear from them again. They have a long, long rest until spring training, so, you know, that's probably going to negatively affect them. Yeah. <laughs> I, hope it do- I hope it doesn't negatively, negatively affect them, and I'm so glad that, that the Braves and the larger Braves fan base is getting uh, sort of exposed at this point because uh, they have a very, very very long history of this exact type of performance. Let's not forget the dominant Braves teams of the 90s. I think they won 14 divisional titles and only managed to win one World Series. Now, look, I get it. It's hard to win a World Series. That said, if you're that dominant for that long, including pre-wildcard era, yeah, and you still can't win a World Series, you only come out of this with with one Uh yeah, no, the Braves are one of the classic regular season, you know, great in the regular season, not so great in the postseason. And I'm glad they're gone, and I don't want to talk about them uh, anymore. <laughs> I think there is also an expectation from baseball in general, the league, that this was a team that deserved to win. And I think that flipping that on its head is better for baseball. And it's hard to really put into put into words what I mean by that, but it just felt like when you have so many baseball writers your Rosenthal's, your MLB Network, you know, The Athletic had a couple pieces. It felt like this was the team that they they had the money behind, that they were like, oh, yeah, well, the Braves are going to go to the World Series and they'll win and, and that'll be good for baseball. I think it's better for baseball that they lost and they're out of it because no team should be expected to win. No team is entitled to win a trophy, despite how they do in, in the mm-hmm. regular season. And I think this is a perfect example of it. These people felt so entitled to getting that trophy, to getting that ring, and having that fall on its face feels good. Feels good feels for so baseball. Good. And if the Astros are out after this round, I think it'll feel even better. Agreed. And now, so let's put that in the rearview mirror. Um, I, I, like I said before you, the, the record, I put together a game for you, but... A game! <laughs> I, a game, but let's put a bow on this playoff talk. We've got the uh, Amer- the American League Championship Series starts tonight, uh, Houston, Texas, or Houston v. Texas, and then tomorrow Houston, night- Houston, Texas versus Texas, Texas. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, versus the larger, greater metropolitan Arlington area Rangers. Uh, and then tomorrow we have Diamondbacks, Phillies. So fork to your nose. Who do you got? Who you got going to the World Series? Uh, so we did, we did this prediction game last time around with the wild card round, and I was wrong- on pretty much everything but the Phillies. <laughs> so yeah, I don't even I don't even remember. I, I know I, I said what I wanted, but I know I didn't get what I wanted. So I'm gonna say that I don't want to make a prediction. Here's what I want to happen. I okay, want Texas to beat 
the Astros. I want it to be a fun. So this is a best of seven series. It'll go on for most of this week. I want it to be a fun series. You know, let's Houston should win a couple of games, but like let's make it a good, long, dramatic series. We haven't really had this postseason. Let me check. Well, one, two, three, four, five, six sweeps so far. Is that right? Yeah, six sweeps so far out of 12 possible matchups. Well, I don't know like that. So, like, I want a good, long, drawn-out thing. I want Texas to come out ahead. And as far as Phillies Diamondbacks go, I'm just I'm rooting for everybody to have a good time because I really like the Phillies, and I really like the Diamondbacks. And whoever goes on to the World Series, I'm happy for it. I will say I think the Phillies, if they do make it that far— kind of deserve it and I hate to I literally just said nobody deserves a world series but after last year after what they did this year it feels like this is sort of their moment and they have a chance to seize it so if it's up to me what I want to happen Phillies Rangers world series Phillies take it in five games oh six games I what I want is I want a best of 21 series between Philly and Arizona. I think this is going to be <laughs> fascinating. I think this is going to be one of the most fascinating playoff series in a long time. I think these two teams match up very, very well. It's going to be very intriguing to see. Um, the Diamondbacks have the the speed on the base paths and the base running ability to test some of that weak, the weaker defense mm-hmm. uh, of the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, you got JT Real Muto behind the plate, one of baseball's best catchers, what, what the best throwing catcher uh, in all of baseball versus uh, Corbin Carroll. I, I can't wait to see that. Um, so what I want is for that series to go seven, and I don't care who wins, but yeah. I will make a prediction, and I will say that it's going to go seven, and then it's going to be Arizona. As much as I want Philly to win, because I do root for the Phillies, um, and I feel I feel stupidly confident for this, so I'm probably wrong. I think Texas is going to sweep the Astros. Whoa. I think that Texas is on one right now. They've got that vibe, that energy. They've got the whole Creed thing. You know, they've they. I always they, forget about the Creed thing. You, you got when you got Creed on your back. You know, it, they've they've got it. I I can see like Creed coming out of like pseudo retirement and performing before a, a game in Texas or something. Um, they just they got a vibe. Their offense has just been clicking. I think their pitching is good enough. Um, so I I, I think Texas is going to sweep Houston. I'm probably wrong, but that's what I think is going to happen. You do know Justin Verlander has one of those starts, right? Yeah, but I I again I don't think it's going to go very well for him. Or at the very least, he's only going to be able to go like four innings and give up four runs. He's going to have a Met style start. <laughs> he's going to have a, he's going to have a very Metsian start, and then the bullpen is just going to uh, collapse uh, on them. So uh, it sounds like I'm I'm going to predict a, a Texas Arizona World Series. Which I think would be fascinating, um, but come on, Texas, don't don't let me down. Sweep the <laughs> sweep the Astros. I've made some really good predictions this year. Uh, I hope this one comes true. It just occurred to me, two of what I think are the best MLB stadiums in the NL versus two of the worst. I mean, Minute Maid Park I think is one of the ugliest stadiums in baseball, and. I forget what the corporate name of Texas's stadium is. Globe Life. Globe Life. It's okay. It's it feels like a big old Costco of a stadium, but when the roof's it, yeah. open, it's kind of nice. So those are two uh, ugly uggos versus two beauties. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, yeah. 
no matter what, the American League, I believe, will have home field advantage, especially if Arizona makes it to the World Series because they don't they had a bad record. But um, yeah, man, that's uh, that's our predictions. That's our look. We'll see how it goes. Um, you know, next week. Either we'll be covering the wrap-up of the championship series or we'll be previewing the World Series, which is, you know, 35 episodes into this podcast. I didn't really think about that that we'd be getting to this point. I mean, I guess I figured we would, but here we are, you know. It's insane. It's insane. And I'm going to make one more prediction. I'm going to predict that when I throw this game at you, you're actually going to come out on top and there's an odd number of questions. So I think you can do it. All right. Let's play the game. So it's it's real simple. Uh, we started this last week. I pick a statistic. Uh, I pit two players against each other and Matt just simply has to guess uh, which player has the higher number in that particular statistic. And I wanted to keep it uh, in Matt's wheelhouse today. And so it's going to be all, it's oops, all Tigers. Uh, it's all players that have played for the Detroit Tigers, and the statistical category, we're going to keep it real simple. It's just hits. And oh. for the per- for the purposes of this exercise, this is career totals. Okay. These, are not to- these are not totals that they accumulated while they were Tigers. These are career totals. So let's start right off the bat, no pun intended, Alan Trammell or Lou Whitaker? Who had more career hits? Hmm. I'm going to go Trammell. You are incorrect. Alan Trammell had 2,365 career hits. Lou Whitaker had 2,369. Four My more. God. Those guys are little twins, right? <laughs> I know, right? They played together for so long, and it, it just its it was natural that that was going to happen. I love that. Uh, all right. Placido Polanco or Lance Parrish? Oh, shit. Damn. Uh, I'm going to go Lance Parrish. Incorrect. Now, you can still you can still pull this out. You've still got five chances, but uh, Placido Polanco had 2,142 career hits to Lance Parrish's 1,782 career hits. Not even close. Uh, Lance Parrish, another Detroit, because there are three current uh, Philadelphia Phillies with Detroit Tigers ties. Lance Parrish played for the Phillies before he came okay. to the Detroit Tigers. Um, this one was fun. Carlos Pena or Carlos Guillen? Oh, man. That is fun. Mm, I'll go Pena. Incorrect. <laughs> well, I'm out of it. <laughs> now, the, I, I, I went with seven. So, like, it's a best of seven. Okay. So, now okay. you were down 0-3. So, you were going to have to pull a Boston White Sox, or Boston White Sox, Boston <laughs> Red Sox, and uh, get the next four. Omar Infante or the mayor, Sean Casey. Uh... Infante. You just got swept. You are incorrect. <laughs> 1,427 hits for Omar Infante to Sean Casey's 1,531. I guess that's why he's a hitting coach now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, Tory Hunter or Johnny Damon? Oh, fuck. Damon. Correct. Hey. Johnny Damon had 2,769 career hits. I did not realize he was that close to 3,000. Um, nor did I realize that Torrey Hunter was that close with 2,452 yeah. career hits. Damn, that's tight though. Yeah. They were and they are both re- remarkably close in career war, uh, despite uh, Torrey Hunter having, uh, I think it was, I think I might have moved some around, but there was one where I was like really surprised. No, it was the... I see what I did here. I'll tell you after this next one. Hank Greenberg or Curtis Granderson? Hmm. I'm going to go Grandy. Great call. Whenever 
Hank Greenberg comes up in some sort of conversation, you have to remember he lost a lot of time uh, to military service. Yeah. He could have had a much better career than he did, just like a lot of players back then, Ted Williams most notable among them. Hank Greenberg, 1,628 hits to Curtis Granderson's 1,800 hits. I originally had Torrey Hunter and Curtis Granderson matched up, um, but the hit, the difference in hits was so dramatic because Torrey Hunter had like almost a th- over 1,000 more at-bats, but he barely had more career war than Curtis Granderson. That's what I thought was interesting that that's wild too because granderson had a long career with several teams so yeah huh. but they i but, guess hunter did too but yeah and then lastly a couple of uh short-lived tiger sluggers juan gonzalez or cecil fielder hmm. fielder incorrect the biggest gulf uh between any two players on this list one gonzalez 1936 career hits to cecil fielder's 1313 hits and if you remember from last week cecil fielder had 319 career home runs which means that uh a pretty good chunk of his hits uh it was the tigers were, uh schwarber it sounds like yeah he was the proto schwarber right there so there you go there's another edition of uh me peppering matt with questions and uh him struggling uh to to guess one or the other and i i i, I know that sounds backhanded but no. it's hard when you you're given two <laughs> again this is why i don't play immaculate grid because i uh i don't know anything about these guys i know the guys but i yeah i'm learning i'm learning yeah <laughs> i am working my way i'm doing a project right now i'm working my way through all of, of the back catalog of the immaculate grids and once i get caught up completely I'm going to uh, add up my my total, uh, my average, and see what I'm averaging on the grids. If I can get six, I'm happy. If I get seven out of nine, that's my goal. Um, if I, anything less than six, I, I get really mad at myself, and uh, some negative self-talk comes out. And uh, that's not necessary. It's just baseball. It's just baseball, guys. It's just baseball. And hey, we, we're just playing some baseball this week. We got the uh, NL and ALCS. And uh, by the time you hear from us next, maybe something else will happen and we'll be previewing the World Series or we'll still be trudging along in this championship series. But either way, we're going to be talking baseball and you're going to hear it from us on this show, which is called <laughs> Put Me In Coach. Uh, so, yeah, uh, have a great week. Uh, have a great Sunday. Again, we're weirdly releasing this early, but, uh, you know, hey, by the time you hear from us next, we'll have way too much rest and the show will be terrible. So <laughs> under yep. under Braves rules. Yep, and we're going to lose in a best of five to John Boy. Once again, the Astros didn't complain. The Astros did fine with the same amount of rest. Crazy. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you guys next week on Put Me In Coach. Put Me In Coach is an Arctic Sounds original podcast hosted by Matt Coggins and Carl Mizell. Theme music is by Quack Quack Seatback. Edited and produced by Matt Coggins. Check out the footnotes of this episode to see links to all the great highlights, articles, and sources we mentioned on the podcast today, as well as the full theme song and ways to get in touch with us. For more, find us on Twitter and Instagram at PutMeInPod or at our website, PutMeInCoachPod.com. Put Me In Coach.